James chapter 1, beginning at verse 19. This is the word of God. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Amen. We thank God for his word to us this morning. Let's pray and ask uh, God to help us as we think about this passage together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you're a God who speaks. So, Lord, would you give us ears to hear, and would you give us hearts that have a deep desire to do what it is that we hear in your word? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's what we're going to see in in this couple of verses today. True religion isn't just in here, but it's out here. True religion isn't just in here, but it's, it's out here. In other words, true religion doesn't just affect how we think, but it affects how we act, what we say, and what we do. I recently read about a 20-year-old woman who believes that she is a cat. She's said that she first realized she was a cat when she was age 16, and that she believes she was born in the wrong species. And so she dresses like a cat in cat-like fashion. And as a result of being a cat, she said that she sometimes hisses when she meets dogs in the street and doesn't like water. It's maybe a somewhat strange story. And when we read stories like this in the newspaper, we maybe find it slightly bizarre. And the reason that we find it slightly bizarre is because we know the truth. And we know the truth is this, we know that she is not a cat. We know that she is indeed a young lady, definitely not a cat. Now, a young woman claiming to be a cat in the wrong body might seem like a pretty extreme example, but we are very good at fooling ourselves, very good. We can convince ourselves of so many things, deceiving ourselves, believing that they're true, And yet the reality is very, very different. And sadly, when it comes to the Christian faith, many people have convinced themselves that they are religious, that they are Christians, 
that they are part of the family of God, and that when their life comes to an end, they will go to be with Jesus in paradise and await the new creation. And yet it is not reality. You see, their problem is this. Their problem is that they think in here that they are something, but it does not match up with reality. It doesn't match up with reality. And James, as he writes, wants to speak to people who find themselves thinking that they are Christians. But the true reality is that they are not. Because if you're really a Christian, well, then it isn't just something that happens in here, not just something that you think inside. No, it, it transforms all of you. It is faith at work. James has already addressed this deception a few verses earlier. If you look up to verse 22, he said, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Well, here James sets out to give us an example, an example of what this deception looks like when it is played out in real life. Verse 26, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Worthless. And James is saying we can think one thing, we can think one thing, but it's not necessarily the reality. The thinking needs to be matched with outward action. And it's interesting that the example given of how to test our thinking and see whether it's really true religion or not is actually that of our tongue. And I presume the reason that James goes to our tongue as the test is because he knows that our tongue actually gives us a pretty accurate picture of what's really going on in our hearts. It's not what Matthew says. Matthew says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if you want to know what's going on in your heart, look at the tongue. So what is this tongue test that James says shows if the thinking actually matches with reality. Well, James says the test is whether or not you have control over it. That's the test. James says that the truly religious man bridles his tongue, bridles his tongue. So what does that mean? Well, we were thinking about it earlier, weren't we? It's the image uh, that it gives is a horse that is controlled by a bridle. We talked earlier, the bridle is the bit with all the leather straps, you know, it goes around their heads. Pull one way, the horse turns one way. You pull the other, you pull it back, the horse stops. It's under control. If you really are religious, in the true sense, as James understands it, you will show that you have got control over your tongue. In other words, James is saying if you claim to be a Christian and yet you do not control your tongue, there's no evidence of a controlled tongue, well then that is a religion that is worthless, meaningless. What you think in here is not actually reality. So how does your tongue fare in the test? Does the language that you use show that you're truly a man or a woman who is controlled by God? Or does the language that you use once you leave here default to filthiness? The kind of filthiness that we were told to put away in verse 21. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. 
Well, when it comes to your tongue, does it show this in practice? Is it still filthy? Or does it show that it has come under new ownership, being transformed by the word of God? Are your words loving and kind? Are they patient and gentle? Do they show faithfulness to Christ? To those that listen, know that this is a tongue that is under control. It's not allowed free reign just to do whatever it wants. Rather, the words that come out of this tongue are, are, are thoughtful, they're careful, they're considered. In other words, is there evidence of the fruit of the Spirit showing self-control over this one little part of your body, the tongue? Is there evidence that you're being transformed, become more like Christ Jesus? That's the question, isn't it? And it's not some sort of fruit that's superficially stuck onto the tree, as if if you were to stick on some sort of tongue that spoke well, that that, that would make you a Christian. No, no, no. It's the, it's the fruit from a reality of a changed heart, and that's where it comes from. Now, maybe you've got a, a bit of a reputation. Maybe you've got a reputation for being mouthy. And, um, and to be honest, maybe you give it very little thought. You just say, well, that's who I am. I've, I've just got a mighty tongue. My mum, she had a fast tongue, and so, do you know, <laughs> I've got it too. My dad, he was always saying things that he shouldn't have been saying, but you know what? The apple doesn't fall far from the tree, and so that's my excuse. As if we're not responsible for our own behavior. <laughs> and James says, if you're living with an unbridled tongue, and you don't think that's an issue, well, then he says, you are deceiving yourselves. You're deceiving yourselves. James says, in pretty clear-cut terms, a loose tongue is the sign of a worthless religion. Hey, James, are you sure? Is that really what you mean? I mean, it seems quite extreme, doesn't it, James? And yet his words echo on. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. This is a stark warning to us this morning, isn't it? This word worthless here is the very same word that's used in 1 Corinthians 15. There it's talking about the value of our faith if Christ had not been raised from the dead. And Paul's conclusion is that it would be worthless. It would be meaningless. It would be hopeless. It's the very same word that James chooses to, to use here. And do we see that the, the starkness of the warning, a, a tongue that runs riot points to a life that is not really transformed. That's what he's saying, isn't it? Religion with an unbridled tongue is as much use as an unresurrected Jesus. So what should we do? What should we do if we realize that our, our tongue is running free? Well, we should come before God in repentance, shouldn't we? Seeking God's forgiveness and help to turn from sin. And you should actively seek to take hold of your tongue retraining it like a horse been broken in. And this might be painful. This might not look pretty. It's going to take hard work and hard graft, just like it would to get a horse in the shape, coming under control. I don't know if you watched much of the coronation a few weeks ago. 
I'm sure most of you saw some of it. And if you did, you, you're, you're almost guaranteed to have spotted some of the horses that were involved. Whether it was marching with police officers on their back or part of a procession or pulling the golden carriage, there was horse after horse after horse. Hundreds of horses were involved. And what was really quite remarkable was watching on and seeing that these were horses that were very much under control, weren't they? There's a clip of, of one of the horses with a soldier on its back, and it seems to get spooked by something, and it ends up backing up into the buyer and, and into some of the crowd. But quickly, the rider gets it back under control, and it falls back into line with everyone else. See, these were horses that were bridled. They were very much under control, weren't they? And it was obvious to everyone as we watched on, these horses knew that they came under the control of someone else. They were under authority. They took their instruction from someone else. I want you to imagine for, for a moment the chaos that would have ensued if, um, if 200 wild horses were unleashed at the coronation. Can you imagine that? 200 wild horses that had never been trained, weren't wearing any bridle, just released into the crowd. Can you imagine? It would have been absolute chaos, wouldn't it? running about the streets of London. They would have wreaked havoc, hurting people left, right, and center. And as we would have watched on, we would have said, this is pretty obvious. These are horses that are not under control. They have not been broken in. And perhaps you're here today and you, you think that you're religious. You think that you're a Christian. And yet, as others watch on at your life, it looks like some sort of wild horse has been released at the coronation. Your tongue is quick to speak and quick to get angry. Just ask those at work. Your tongue is quick to speak and quick to get angry. Just ask your spouse or your family at home. Your tongue is quick to speak and quick to get angry. Just ask your neighbors. And James wants us this morning to do a bit of self-examination. Is our tongue really one that is under control? Does what we say that we're a Christian actually match up with a different reality? <laughs> and it's not, that, it's not that James thinks that we're going to have our tongue under the control to the point where we never sin. Don't misunderstand what he's saying. No believer is going to be sinless in this life. But are we seeking to control it? Do we think that it has to be controlled? Are we wrestling with this little muscle, seeking to show that God's word rules over even this tiny little bit of our body? It's a beautiful thing, isn't it? Whenever you watch on a, a horse that is under control, all of its power and all of its force and it's channeled in the proper direction. And it's a beautiful thing whenever we meet someone who's a Christian and they have, by the power of the work of the spirit in their life, learned to control their tongue. It's an attractive thing, isn't it? It's the kind of thing that points to the gospel being true. It really actively making a difference in a transformed life. But sadly, the opposite is also true. Perhaps you're here this morning and you say that you're a Christian. Maybe you come here pretty regularly. You sit here and you might say you're a Christian. And yet... The way that you speak at work or at home or with your friends, rather than adorning the gospel and making the gospel look really attractive, like we were thinking about in, in Titus, rather than that, 
people think, what? You say you're a Christian and, and that's the way you speak? You say you're a Christian and that's the way you treat your boss or your employees? You say that you're a Christian and, and that's the kind of thing that you think's funny? You see, James wants us to know that you cannot be a Christian and not have a bridal tongue. We need to be seeking to bring it under control. So if religion, true religion, doesn't look like this, it doesn't look like a, a tongue that is just left to run off whatever way it wants, off the leash and out of control, what does it actually look like? Well, verse 27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. James tells us two things, caring for those who are in need and keeping yourself pure. But before we think about those two little things a, a, a bit more, spot first what's at the beginning of the verse. This religion, and notice religion is not bad in itself, if it's indeed the true religion, it's actually to be pure and undefiled. Isn't that the implication of, of what's written before us? It's not that it's okay to be quite happy with impure and defiled religion, as if it doesn't really matter how we live. No, holiness really does matter. Purity really does matter because our lives are being played in view. God the Father is watching on at how we live. Isn't that what we see? James says, before God the Father. That's how our lives are being lived out. They're being lived out before God the Father. In the view of God, the writer of Proverbs puts it like this. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch in the evil and good. And for the Christian... That's supposed to motivate us to holy living, to living differently. Boys and girls, I wonder if you ever find yourself at home and um, maybe there's something that you know you really shouldn't do, but you'd quite like to do it. And so you have that little glance to see if mum and dad are watching. And if they're not watching, maybe you're tempted to actually go ahead and do it. Those of us who are older will know that we never really grow out of that, do we? And James wants us to know that actually there is always someone watching. And the one who is always watching, whether your mum or your dad or your teacher in school sees or not, is that God is always watching. Always watching. And what is it that is holy and undefiled? That's another question, isn't it? Well, what is Holy is what is before God as holy. See that we bit before God? In other words, how do we know what's holy and undefiled? Well, what is holy is what God views to be holy. It's not just what you might think is holy or what your friends might think is holy or what your earthly parents might think or what Twitter might think. No, no, no. What is holy is what God says is holy. What is undefiled? Well, what is undefiled is what God says is undefiled, not what you might think, not what your friends might think, not what your earthly parents might necessarily think, not what Twitter might think, but rather what God says is undefiled. Verse 27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So what is it that God says this looks like? Well, this true religion the first of the true religion 
The first of the two, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. In other words, we are to be caring for those who are in need. Remember the situation that James is, is writing to. Widows and orphans didn't have that, the social welfare system that, that we have here. And especially think about the fact that, that this is a scattered church that he's writing to. People who have been dispersed, maybe because of their faith. Family relationships have maybe broken down. Husbands have maybe abandoned their, their wives and their children. And so they find themselves in a pretty precarious position, don't they? And James says that stepping in to take care of them is the mark of true religion. True religion. And you wonder whether James picks this as an example because he knows that this is what God is like. Psalm 68 says this, Father of the fatherless, protector of the widows, is God in his holy habitation. You see, the believer is to actively seek out and care for those in need. That's something that we are to do. And so who might it be for us today? Well, might not necessarily be widows in the same way, at least financially. They're supported from the state in some way. But certainly they're likely to be lonely and appreciate someone calling to chat and check up with them. And although we live in an ever-connected world, loneliness seems to be a bigger problem than ever. It seems to be like one of the biggest issues in our society, isn't it? And so I wonder as we think about those who we're placed next to, where our homes are, is there people that we could connect with who are actually lonely? Or as someone's health deteriorates, we, we may need to think, how, how can we practically support them at this point? When it comes to caring for children who are orphaned, well then surely Christian families should be at the front of the queue seeking to foster or, or adopt where that's possible, or taking up jobs within the social care system. I know that many of you are involved in that, and that's brilliant. Because we know more than anyone else what it is to be adopted as children. Because we have a heavenly father who has adopted us into his family. What about seeking to help refugees that move into our neighborhood? What about caring for the homeless? What about seeking to support those with disabilities? Showing kindness and compassion to those in need. So true religion is controlling our tongue. We've thought about that. True religion is caring for those in need. But thirdly, and lastly, true religion is keeping yourself pure. Or in the words of James, to keep one unstained from the world. And here James highlights the fact that the believer is to stand out. They're not to blend into the world and the world's way of living. No, your life should be seeking to align with how God's word calls you to live. You're to be set apart. You're to be distinct. You're to be different rather than living a life that looks all too similar to those who are not Christians as they live around us. You see, worldly living is not the mark of the Christian. Kevin DeYoung really helpfully defines worldliness like this. He says, worldliness is whatever makes sin look normal and righteousness look strange. Do you get that? Whatever, worldliness is whatever makes sin look normal and righteousness look strange. And I sometimes wonder if living a righteous life, even within a church body, can feel very strange. 
but how much more outside the body? So I wonder, is there things that we've just become so accustomed to that we think they're normal and, and barely even think that they're sinful? Sex outside of marriage, materialism, feeling to keep the fourth commandment, feeling to keep the Sabbath day holy. You see, what James is saying is that you cannot have Jesus as your savior and not have him as your Lord. And lordship covers every area of your body, even a tiny little muscle that finds itself just in here. It controls all of our lives, what we say, what we do with our money, what we do with our time, our energy. It's a package deal, isn't it? Jesus only comes as savior when he comes as savior and Lord. Sinclair Ferguson says it like this. He says, thinking you can have one without the other is thinking that you can have half a wife. <laughs> it's not possible, is it? It's a deception. It's not reality. And so let me ask you a question. As we get to the end of this text today, can you do a little bit of testing, a little bit of searching? What would you say if I was to ask you, are you a Christian? Do you think you're a Christian? And then the second question is this, well, does your life look different as a result? If you think that you're a Christian, is it really affecting how you live out your life and your life in every area? Your hands, your head, your minds, your tongues, your romantic relationships, your wallets, your weekly schedule, does it look different? And what we're talking about here is, is really important because it's a, it's a matter of a religion that is worthless or a religion that is true. It could be that some of you are here and, and maybe you've been coming for a long time and you sit pretty content. You hear each week the word and you think that is a good word. That's a nice word. And yet it makes no difference to how you actually live. And if that's you, well then you are deceiving yourself. You're deceiving yourself because what you are living is deception. You're not really a Christian just because you turn up here in church. If it doesn't actually affect your life, it's not changing you. If there's no evidence of fruit. So if that's you today, well, then this is supposed to be a wake-up call. James wants you to hear, but he wants you to hear and to do. To think as a Christian, yes, absolutely, we, we must do that. But then, with the Spirit's help, we need to live it out. And for those of us who are believers this morning, it's a reminder to watch our doctrine in our life, isn't it? This Christian faith doesn't just affect our heads, but it should affect our whole lived out lives. And so we're to keep striving, aren't we? Keep striving in the power of the Spirit to control our tongues, to demonstrate a thing of beauty as you bridle it, and to care for those in need, and to keep yourself pure. Demonstrating through you're living that Jesus is indeed Savior and Lord. And when we look to Jesus as our example, that's what we see, isn't it? The one who controlled his tongue, even when he experienced scorn and ridicule and mockery, even when he went through the horror of betrayal from friends and physical abuse and crucifixion itself. So today, trust in Jesus. Trust in Jesus and seek to follow his example. Show the fruit of the Spirit at work within you. Let's pray.
Lord, might your word and spirit be at work so that each person here has an accurate picture of where they stand before you. Might they not leave here deceived, thinking that they are one thing when the reality is something else. And for those of us who are in Christ, might the fruit of self-control be ever-increasing so that more and more we would control our tongues. Might our hearts soften to show more love and kindness and compassion to those in need. And would you give us courage and boldness to stand firm, to hold to your word and righteous living rather than being shaped by the culture of our day. Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.